You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 552, celebrities jumping into ice pools, can music festivals save your sanity, and Juliet falls in love with Alison Goldfrapp. That's all coming up after Wax and Bridge to Your Heart.
One of the most earwormy tracks ever recorded in the history of mankind, a lovely collaboration between Andrew Gold and Graham Goldman mm-hmm. from 1987, number 12 on the UK Top 40, Wax and Bridge to Your Heart. The dream team, Goldman and Gold, mm-hmm. aren't they, really? They could have called themselves the Gold Men, possibly. But, um, oh, but, very you know, good, but, yeah. You see, just as well, I'm not in charge of these things, Terrence. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I enjoyed that very much. Good morning, everybody. Welcome along to Parish Council, episode 552. I'm Terence Stackham. And ladies and gentlemen, you've heard her online. You've heard her on BBC Radio 2. Now you can see her on your television. It's Juliet Harris. Wow, what what an intro for something which I sort of feel is fairly minor, but that's just because it didn't take very long to film, I think. Yes, for those of you that like your quiz shows, of which we have discussed in the past around these parts, I will be on Eggheads, previously of the BBC Parish, now of the Channel 5 Parish, although confusingly still filmed at BBC Studios, which are rented out. But anyway, um, we filmed Eggheads um, for Channel 5 with Jezza Vine and all of the clever people, and we will be our episode, my team, the pink flamingos our episode <laughs> against the eggheads will be shown at um half past six i believe eggheads is on on channel five currently scheduled for the 29th of april so if you would like to see me being me on the television with my excellent teammates that's what you can do well that's a, that's a date for the diary Mm, absolutely it says of course a lot of interest from people Ooh. who i don't usually hear from but uh, hilariously i will be away so i'll be watching it in an airbnb so <laughs> but i was i will set the video I mentioned something, um, must mention something that I saw in the newspapers this week. You know, Johnny Depp is in the news again in a court well, case with his former yeah. wife. I mean, the, this could be like a sort of a recorded message that we just well, play every so often on the podcast. That never seems to have any end, does it? Now, although the allegations and counter allegations are serious issues, mm. I was delighted to read the headline in the independent newspaper telling us about the conflict between Johnny Depp and Amber Rudd. <laughs> I mean, with 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 the fact checkers, I mean, for goodness sake, I mean, you know, the idea of my former local MP, let's not forget, and um, and and Johnny Depp being together in court. Maybe uh, maybe next week it will be I'd like I'd like a different degree of separation of inaccuracy every week. So next week could be Johnny Dodd versus versus Amber Rudd. And then the week after that could be, I don't know, um, you know, Johnny Dodd versus Amy LeMay. And you could just you could just take it a step away every time until we finally leave reality. Back in the late 1980s and, and 1990s, I remember there was a best-selling book that became very fashionable, perhaps mm. useful, aimed at helping people overcome anxieties. Mm. Written by Susan Jeffers, it was called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Mm, yes, now, I remember this. Yeah, seemingly inspired by this, the BBC this week launched Freeze the Fear with Wim Hof. I mean, um, it's such, again, it's such a tenuous link to that, isn't it, really? That's as close as they could get to invoking that without invoking absolutely. the lawyers as well, I suspect. Wim Hof, apparently a global phenomenon that uh, I'd never heard of. Me neither. Um, the Iceman is his nickname, it seems. Some people call him a genius, it was said in the intro. <laughs> Whether this some people were uh, Wim himself and members of his immediate yeah, family I, was not made clear. And, um, and I wanted to say instantly after that, some people call him the gangster of love, because that's <laughs> my brain went during that intro. <laughs> Wim, Wim Hof, the space cowboy. Um, <laughs> uh, hopefully, um, Juliet will explain the concept in a moment. But of course... <laughs> oh, no, don't do yeah. this. Oh, Lord. Uh, well, of course, there were eight celebrities, mm. um, three of whom I didn't know. Mm, which three didn't you know? Uh, the, the, the weatherman. 
Oh yes, um, he was. He did. He drummed along to the theme on Twitter and went very viral in early 2020. Uh, somebody called Chelsea Grimes. Yes, I've just known her through popping up as a presenter on things and also playing football, weirdly. And someone called Diane Buswell. One of the pros from Strictly Come Dancing. Right, right. Well, I, knew, I, I kind of knew at least of the others. It, it, and in, and in, the, in, in the, you know, the six degrees of podcast separation of things we talked about over the years, she danced with and then I think may have entered a relationship with Joe Sugg, brother of our old pal Zoella that you saw oh, recently Zoella, turn up on this podcast and her shonky advent calendar. Long-term listeners will remember that. Well, um, Jules, it was all located in northern Italy mm. and it, it was a kind of show that was a sort of big brother meets Ski Sunday. Yes, that is an excellent description. It was a very strange beast, wasn't it? Yes. Um, are your comments that you made to me previously, I think, are really correct in that this idea that we can only watch something if it features celebrities, mm. and we're using that term in in perhaps a loose sense in, in, in some cases. The thing that slightly frustrated me about this programme was I think if you'd done it with ordinary people, it could have been really good or, or really interesting at least because I quite liked the concept of the psychology behind it and the idea of, you know, sort of facing your fears and, you know, knowing your knowing your own capabilities and knowing your strengths and knowing what exactly you can do. I really I really admired it as a concept actually. I thought it had some value. And I enjoyed some of the some of the people talking about what was going on in their lives. Alfie Bowe, for example, was clearly very troubled by the, mm. the breakdown of his marriage. He was very interesting, I thought. But um, and also I enjoyed Gabby Logan's comments about sort of midlife. She her podcast, The Midpoint, is really interesting. And I, I thought there were there were some interesting stories there, but I would have like to have seen to have learned about ordinary people in their lives I think I think there was a sort of a there was a good program in here I think and this wasn't awful I did manage to watch all of it sometimes I confess when we've watched things I have skipped bits I did manage to watch to watch all of this pretty much um Wim himself is a very interesting character and I, th- I felt we got to the heart of him towards the end when we learnt about the, the the very sad demise of his wife and the circumstances in which that had happened and it was almost and I think Gabby Gabby Logan alluded to that it was almost like someone had sort of flicked a light on and kind of sort of illuminated kind of what the psychology was going on underneath really I mean you know I found the presenters you know Holly Willoughby and Lee Mack I just yeah like you say I I, the big brother aspect of it really annoyed me I thought though I thought you could have made quite an interesting serious program there have been some quite good programs made on, on BBC two about um you know, following ordinary people. I was I was reminded of Race Across the World, which me and some friends got really into over the last couple of years, where they just dumped a load of ordinary people that had auditioned for the programme, you know, somewhere in Latin America or somewhere random. And then they had to, they didn't have any resources. And they had to somehow persuade people to take them across the world. And that was, you learned a lot about people and their, and their sort of lives and their psychology during that. And I thought that was a much better programme than this. And it just made me think that this had the potential. I mean, the scenery was just stunning. And I watched it on a large TV. So that made it more more tolerable and that I could just pretend I was getting lost in the mountains for a bit. But I, I just think that it was trying to be all things to all people. This you could either make a serious psychology type program and use it as a backdrop or you can make a sort of a fun big brothery type program. It, yeah, it, it fell between stalls to me and I just wanted to make the version of the program that I thought would be better. 
I thought this was a really terrible show, um, during which um, What's the Point kept passing uh, into my thoughts. And to explain, basically, uh, eight uh, so-called celebrities were um, put in a very cold area in northern Italy and given, um, in this episode, two tasks to perform that would sort of test their mettle and uh, make them break through somehow any uh, mental anxieties. Yes. I mean, I, I, I... should say I, I rather exonerate Lee Mack and Holly Willoughby, okay. who did, did a really good job as presenters, despite yes, the paucity of material. They did but, what they were asked to, didn't they? Yeah, always the hallmark of a grim show. Everything seemed to last an eternity from watching eight people individually jumping into a ice hole to eight people individually abseiling down the face of a cliff and at the 30 minute mark i was willing this show to end it was <laughs> it was extraordinarily ill judged i thought the abseiling bit once we'd seen one person clamber well, down me. watching yeah. seven more was superfluous and i i noticed that even the director and the production team realized that towards the end because by, by the time we got to the sixth seventh and eighth people we no longer sort of saw them do the whole thing it was just quick oh there they go oh, and they finished well done um dangerously in my opinion there were elements of ludicrous homeopathy thrown in i'll give you a quote cold can help people overcome their problems said wim and i thought this was an idiom that should have been edited out when we're suddenly living in an age where living in a cold house or flat doesn't overcome problems but causes them um i thought it was a truly awful show i don't want to see any more episodes it's a holiday adventure video for the participants dull for everyone else and uh, specifically us poor viewers okay fair enough that that's uh that's that dealt with freeze the fear with wim hoff is on bbc one on tuesdays at 9 p.m and on the iplayer should, should you feel the need but you might not after what we've just said <laughs> coming right up can music festivals save your sanity that's next after camera obscura spend a week in a dusty library some words to jump in me We met by a trick of fate French Navy, my sailor maid
relationships were something I used to do. Convince me they are better for me and you. We met by a trick of fate. French Navy, my sailor, I wanted to control it. someone about Scottish indie the other day and how great it is particularly sort of Scottish indie of a bit of an age as well and so there were lots of Scottish indie bands that I wanted to pick this week but I do really love Camera Obscura and I I love the sort of ease of that song I think it's a, a beautiful tune it just makes it's the sort of music that makes me happy Terence when it sort of glides mm. along upbeat indie pop done beautifully that is uh, Camera Obscura and French Navy I'm glad they got back together. There was talk of a new album, but I believe lockdown has delayed uh, yeah. progress on that. So uh, I'm sure that hopefully that will come um, in the near future. I've known people, young people, um, especially come back from a festival weekend, uh, Glastonbury, for example, and claiming at the time anyway that the experiences changed their life and how they wanted to stay on and not return to normal living, such was you know, the impact of going. Uh, and... Um, experiencing the, the the weekend i've never felt it like that even when i was a bit younger i've been to the glastonbury festival twice mm. once was just before they put the, put the big fences up yeah and people could just break in well you know, break in, you just walked in through the woods and all sorts of disagreeable people made use of that so although the official attendance was something like a hundred thousand there was at least double mm. that and so there was an air of tension about about the place uh so we only stayed one day that that time i just didn't like it at all and none of my party did the other time was the first one with the mega fence and that mm-hmm. did make a huge difference yes but even so me being me uh, staying in a tent wasn't mm. for me so i stayed at the georgian pilgrims inn in glastonbury high street and commuted in each day um on the back of a scooter piloted by the hotel barman's <laughs> younger brother for 10 quid a journey wow uh, it, it was a bit strange staying in this um, Georgian Pilgrims Inn in Glasgow. It's like you know, 500 plus years old. And it was a bit strange. I stayed in a hotel room named after a cleric who'd undergone a terrible end during the dissolution of the monasteries. Um, but uh, conversely, I did get to see Coldplay, Faithless, Isaac Hayes uh, in 2002. But even That's still, cool. the festival experience... I find an ordeal rather rather than life enhancing. But perhaps, Jules, you're more enlightened and you find uh, living in a field for a few days a joyous experience. I mean, I so I went I've only ever been to two festivals where I've camped. One was Latitude in 2008 and one was Witchwood in 2009, which gave us a surreal experience of camping near Cheltenham Racecourse and <laughs> having to walk across Cheltenham Racecourse in order to get to the to the, the main sort of arena each morning. And of course, we were not allowed. We were not allowed near the fences where, where the horses okay. would jump, although I, I did see some photos of people by the fences at, <laughs> at a later date. But um, 
I so so like you, I don't really like camping very much. And to be honest, I went to those festivals in my twenties, my my mid twenty, early to mid twenties, I would say. Um, I'm at a stage now where I, if I don't like things, I don't do them. I've kind of got to that point where I just think, and having had a miserable experience camping about three years ago, I just thought, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to do this anymore. People stay up all night. They disturb you. You have to have a go at people. If you're, you have to be near the toilets if you need them in the night, but that means you hear the constant banging of metal doors when you're trying to get to sleep in my experience. Having said that, your way of experiencing it seems to be the way forward because actually the, the the festival itself and seeing that much music at once and, and enjoying that many things at once I love it I love being able to meet people they're often very friendly places there's this lovely article I really liked this I thought it was it was really sweet by Patrick Smith in the Independent, which is free to read online you have to have a login but you can you can re- read it online um and this this chap uh, Patrick has written an article about um he's always enjoyed festivals but he um he he had a very serious motorcycle a moped accident in Thailand in September 2019 and bless him puts I know in brackets <laughs> oh, it's okay Patrick these things happen and it, he was really really you know not good by the sound of it and he writes very movingly about going to end of the road in 2019 and how he found it really restorative and how lovely it was to do something that he loved and to be with people again and he um he talks about his first time at Ros Kilda and this is very beautifully written I'd like to read a bit of this the scenes were this is Ros Kilda in 2007 the scenes were apocalyptic teenagers cried tents were lost in the mudslides lakes formed in the camping areas to watch an act required skillfully hopscotching through the chocolatey <laughs> sludge imagine SAS selection except with more blonde students hopped up on gallons of bad red wine 5,000 people left on day one I checked into a hostel on day three uh, if that all sounds really traumatic it really wasn't in the end as we summoned the kind of hardy bonhomie usually fostered in the half conditions where the sun peeps through on the Sunday and we were pogoing to base Jacks. I understood what festivals are all about. I went to four the following year. And there is, I've had some lovely experiences at, at the festivals I've been to. Um, when you see things happen for the first time, when you're just the communal experience of, and I think we've talked about this during the pandemic on the podcast before, the communal experience of all singing along to something. And I, you know, one of the, the most memorable live music moments I've ever seen was at Latitude in 2008 where aside from getting to see Debbie Harry and Blondie doing Summer Parallel Lines, which was amazing, um, Elbow played. And this was before they'd won the Mercury Music Prize. So they were they were sort of a still a reasonably successful indie band that was sort of bumping along a bit. And it was as the sun was going down on the Saturday evening. And, and they did Grace Under Pressure, which was a song which has a refrain at the end that we can't repeat here. But they get the they get the crowd singing along at Glastonbury and things like that. And they said at the end of, of you know of that we've got one more song to do and this is a a new song we've not really done it live before but we'd like you to sing along with us if we tell you what the words are now perhaps you can do it with us and it was one day like this it was the first time they played it Mm -hmm. and I remember 
listening to it in this you know the first proper festival i've been to beautiful sunshine you know loads of people around having a lovely time and i remember being with my friend and as they started playing and everyone started singing this we both looked at each other and said how can this fail and it was mm. and it didn't and they went on to be huge and i know it now annoys people because it gets used on like sports footage all the time and stuff but to be to experience moments like that in live music and particularly in a festival context where everyone's gone to have a good time really is um, are they life changing? I don't know, but but I certainly if you go when you're a younger person, I think to have that freedom can be can be life changing. Actually, I think it can certainly set you along a different path. And I think doing anything that you enjoy, particularly after the last couple of years and being with people that either you love or you've just met and you're you're learning to love, I think it's I think it's a lovely thing. So I get that the 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 camping aspect is tedious. Mm. I am with you. I will be staying with you in your Georgian coaching and whatever it is. But <laughs> but equally, um, you know, I think that that you know the experience of, the, of them themselves can be a really magical thing. So so I'm all for festivals. I think I might just I don't know. I'll drive. I think. <laughs> I'm fairly sure that there is an age element to all this because at yeah. many festivals these days with multiple stages and areas of entertainment all over the place, you can easily walk five miles a day. And after that, the thought of trying to sleep under a thin layer of canvas or polythene or whatever it is not very attractive to me. But plus for anyone over 55, um, you know, be warned, um, it's standing only to see all these stages. There's nowhere for a lovely sit down, um, which, again, is something you not, think not, of. Not whilst watching music anyway. No, you might that's, that's what I mean. Yeah, while you're watching the act. But on, on a sunny day, yes, like your elbow experience, I can understand the attraction of seeing you know a favourite band or musician out in the open air. And I think the key to success to any festival is for the people who put the event on not to be too greedy and keep the number of those attending at a level below what might be agreed to be capacity, because it's vital to be comfortable and to be able to move around freely yeah. and it can ruin the whole thing. And to be there... safe as well. And and to be and to safe, be safe of course. We've had terrible experiences at Roskilde in, in the past uh, where people yeah. died. So, so that's Good really God. important. Yeah. Um, yeah, you don't want, uh, you know, your your experience can be ruined if there's like 30 minute queues at the food concessions or even worse, at the bathroom areas. Yes. Um, but, do you know, on a positive, a, a positive note for me to finish my little bit here, a lot of people argue about the cost of, say, going to Glastonbury. But I still maintain that if you are going, it's incredibly good value. Yes, um, £285 this year in 2022. Sounds a lot, but in order to see maybe two top acts these days, yeah, so you true. could pay that at, say, the O2 or Hyde Park yeah, easily. 100, 140 quid a ticket isn't unusual these You'd days. You'd pay that to see Paul McCartney, wouldn't you? Who Who is... On who, his own, exactly. Yeah, or, or indeed Adele at Hyde Park this summer um you know those sort of that sort of amount is is pretty standard so 285 pounds for this year paul mccartney kendrick lamar billy eilish diana ross crowded house Pet Shop i mean that's Boys. such a lineup isn't it when you, when you gallagher like robert that. plant alison krauss dozens wow. more yeah terrific value yeah yeah, agreed. And if that's if that's what you want, it, like you say, if you want to watch live music, that's the best way in which to do it. Just take a lot of wet wipes. That's all I'd say. Yeah, it's good good advice. If you're going to any festival this summer, big or small, you know, yeah, may the may the may you take your wet wipes and may the sun shine on all of your stages. Yes, may may the muddy odds ever be in your favour. 
Yes, coming next, going to see the Beatles in 1963 mm. versus going to see Goldfrapp <laughs> in 2022. Not the most uh, obvious comparison ever. <laughs> you know, trust us, we've got this. Place, trust us we? on this. <laughs> um, that's right after William Loveday Intention. set of four albums recorded by Billy Childish during lockdown mm. and this is the first track from the fourth album Billy Childish recording as the William Loveday Intention and to sing the blues you've got to be blue 
That is, I mean, Billy Childish is just one of the most interesting figures in in alternative music and alternative art, I think. And what a na- great name for an outfit! Oh, that is <laughs> that is super. There is literally no stopping Billy Childish, whoever he is, isn't there? Really? That's wrong. That's not even his real name either. It's Stephen something. I can't exactly. Quite that's, that's that's what's so entertaining. No, so I have friends that sort of um know know of him because um a lot of my pals were involved in the Medway music scene at the same time as he was in the in the sort of seventies eighties etc. And uh, and yeah, I I know people. I've never actually seen Billy Childish play, but I I remember lots of my friends. Man, he did two dates. He very seldom plays now, probably I think. And he did two mm. dates in London about four years ago. And I remember seeing this wonderful photograph that someone had taken and i knew most of the front row because all of my my mates (laughs) might have gone and the look of wonder on their faces they looked a bit like the scene in the simpsons where they the kids go on a road trip and they go and see andy williams and all of the the children are asleep apart from nelson Muntz, who it turns out loves andy williams Mm -hmm. and has this incredibly wide-eyed teary face during moon river and he just looks so excited my friends look like that so there is clearly something very magical about billy childish live they just they just all looked like they were having the nicest time as five-year-olds that they'd ever had in their lives well i really in, in i love that track it sort of rolls yeah. along like it a, yeah it's good like a train uh, it rolls along like a train on, on a kind of remote midwestern railroad it's yes, really exactly. evocative it does it doesn't sound incredibly Gillingham, i must say but it's it's really good <laughs> I was honestly looking at some Beatles memorabilia the other day, a memorabilia, and I came across a poster for a night they played at the Odeon Southport in August 1963. Um, ticket prices range from four and six to eight and six. That's uh, 22 and a half pence to 42 and a half pence. And I thought comparing this with 2022, and we'll hear about Juliet going to see Goldfrapp this mm. week in a minute. But this is how it worked in 1963. I just found this absolutely fascinating. The Beatles had a week-long residency at Southport. Um, oh, incidentally, I was mean, just doing my research. In the same week, mm. um, August 1963, Paul McCartney was banned from driving for a year oh, after dear. being caught speeding for the ter- third time in 1963. And um, it is... It is time you were taught a lesson, said Magistrate Alderman W. O. Hannaford. <laughs> what an amazing, well, certainly of its time. And also, um, James and Paul McCartney, you've been committed yeah. of a, you've been convicted of a very grave time. Crime, imagine, um, imagine Porridge remade with James Paul McCartney instead of uh, Norman Stanley Fletcher. Wouldn't that be great? It actually says that in the court report. Is a 21-year-old James Paul McCartney of Fourth yeah. Lynn Road, you know, <laughs> and a fine 31 quid too as well. But uh, wow. I mean, I can imagine that's probably like 75,000 pounds now, isn't it? Yes, exactly. But back to the Odeon Southport. It was a week-long residency, two shows a night, and this is what I found intriguing: two shows a night, mm. one, uh, for the whole week. One at 6.25 and one at 8.40 in the evening. Um, the Beatles, supported by Jerry and the Pacemakers, the foremost, Tommy Wallace and Beryl, the sons of Piltdown men, Gary and Lee and Tommy Quickly. Now, mm-hmm. I was thinking that if we allowed a paltry 20, 25 minutes to get the first crowd out and the second lot in. Yes. 
how long did each act play, play for? The Beatles did 10 songs, um, starting with Ray, Roll Over Beethoven, finishing yep. with Twist and Shout. So yeah. we have to allow 10 songs, 30 minutes for that, including the yes. you know, brief chatter be- between the song, leaving 80 minutes for six supporting acts, not even considering there's a compare, Billy Baxter, comedian Billy Baxter. Mm. Um, That's so an act even... I've heard of, I think. <laughs> no, <laughs> 80 minutes for six acts. So let's say Jerry uh-huh. and the Pacemakers must have had 20 minutes, sure to make it worth their while you think so wouldn't you? and also they're probably the biggest other name aren't they if you if you if absolutely you they'd already had a hit with i i like it mm. so allowing 60 minutes to share between the other five acts and the compare and it just made me think 60 minutes five acts the compare it must have been chaos getting everybody oh. on and off and absolutely military that, operation you literally absolutely and on and ca- shove them off yeah carnage in the dressing room because it would you know it's just an odian cinema in southport so there wouldn't have been an entire suite of dressing rooms so i just imagine that your night at the delaware pavilion bore <laughs> little relationship to the odeon in southport in 1963 it was a lot i mean obviously i can't comment because i wasn't at the odeon in southport <laughs> so, so this isn't necessarily a fair comparison but it was a lot more sedate than that sounded there were only two acts there was an excellent support called salt ashes who well, i would describe as um grown-up synth pop she reminded me very much of mabel or maybe jesse ware or somebody like that so i went to the delaware pavilion with my pal um we had free tickets that i'd been given by a friend of mine for feeding their cats in august 2020 because this <laughs> gig has been postponed four times <laughs> since april 2020 and the friends feeding the, those cats i was feeding now live in serbia and one of the cats still was resides here with another of our friends but anyway you didn't need to know that so so we went to Delaware Pavilion first time I had been back to the Delaware Pavilion to see something of that scale since the since the pandemic um regulars will know that I go and see bands there quite a lot I often whenever I talk about bands I've seen live recently it's usually there and it was sold out so 1500 capacity upstairs seated downstairs standing so it was the biggest gig I've been to since I mean I know we spoke on the podcast about me going to see Squitty but this was the biggest gig of that of of this scale that I'd seen and so we ended up standing near the front because my friend said that she quite wanted to do that so although as we said after even during the headline it was pretty chill down the front there was a pocket of dancing in the middle but um but we we, we mostly managed to, to watch the 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 the, the, uh, the gig well um so it was 20 years of Felt Mountain, although, as Alison Goldfrapp pointed out when she came on, it's been a very long time. It is now, in fact, 22 years of Felt Mountain that we were celebrating, um, which everyone I've said that to has gone, God, I feel old. And yeah, it did. It did. Uh, the, the audience were people that had heard it at the time. That We saw a couple of people who we debated whether or not they were born when Felt Mountain came out. But mostly it was it was, you know, sort of middle class, middle aging people like us, essentially, that we saw. Um, and. So the the set was rather um, felt mountain heavy. It's almost difficult. I was trying to describe this to my best friend the other day, and he kept saying, but surely it wasn't that good. I was trying to describe how astonishing Alison Goldfrapp was. Alison, uh, so Goldfrapper, Alison Goldfrapp and Will Gregory. Will Gregory doesn't perform live with Goldfrapp anymore, it would seem. I think he's still involved in producing their music, but he's he's not in the band on stage anymore. He's doing a lot of stuff with the Moog Orchestra, I think. So so it was Alison Goldfrapp and a backing band, all of whom were excellent, um, including some real old stages. Alex Lee, who I saw last door on stage 
20 years ago playing guitar as an extra member of Suede, having previously been in Strange Love and then the Blue Aeroplanes before that um, was was in this backing band. Um, they had a string section live on stage who were very cheery. They were they clapped and, and, and laughed a lot at the end of songs. They were great. But um, Alison Goldfrapp gave, I think, one of the most astonishing live performances I've ever seen in that she came on and... I mean, you've got to love anybody that comes on in. A, I was describing her to someone that was a fan, and and she said, "Let me, you know." I said, "She came on in, you know." And my friend went, "What a spangly cape!" And I went, "Exactly, yes." So she came on in a spangly cape, um, looking very much like the '30s film star that I suspect she might have been in another life, if that is a thing that happens, and instantly started the yodeling title track from Felt Mountain. I mean, you've got to love anyone that comes on in a spangly cape and then just yodels on stage. And it was pretty silent throughout. And not silent as in it wasn't going over well. I mean, my friend said five songs in after we'd made two attempts to speak to each other and couldn't because our jaws were on the floor throughout. Said, we're seeing something very special, aren't we? And I said, we we, we truly are. I mean, just the most outstanding performance of keeping the whole crowd sort of with her. And it was astonishingly intense to the point where so it's a wooden floor in that in, in, in the sort of the downstairs. And we were at the sort of the front left, I would say. Somebody at the back of the hall to the right passed out before one of the songs and absolutely and went, you know, bang. Mm. And I say this because the whole room heard it like every mm. all of us turned around because there's this massive crash. And it was such a crash. I thought, has one of the speakers fallen over at the back or something? And it turns out this poor woman who was stood near a friend of ours that was near the back turned to the person with her and said this song is my favorite and then passed out oh, so um, which was a pity apparently she was fine. we were all reassured afterwards that she was fine our friends okay. at my music's not dead record said she was fine just bad luck that you pass out before your favorite song as i commented to my friend afterwards if that was too intense for a good job she wasn't down the front with us she might not have lived because <laughs> it was it was it was just as it was completely astonishing and and it was it was on the way out a person in front of us commented um, you know, oh, it wasn't very upbeat. You know, there could have been more up numbers. And my friend said to me, I said, excuse me, have you heard Felt Mountain? That is, you know, they, they were very clear that that's what they were doing. But there were some of the upbeat numbers at the end. Um, there was best summed up by the first note of Ride On On A White Horse, to which a friend behind, behind me just shouted, oh, Christ, after the first <laughs> note, because it was just so, so phenomenal. And, and a really cracking version of Strict Machine at the end, where I said to my friend, they can't go at this pace through strip machine all the way through because I'm going to have a heart attack and so are they and luckily they did manage to dial it back at that point but I would just say if you get the chance to see Alison Goldpratt perform live then just go because she just has the most astonishing presence I mean I can't even begin to explain it it was like art I, I said to my friend towards the end we're just watching art really aren't we I'm not I'm not you know we're not watching pop we're watching something although I think pop is art but but, but we're watching something that was just off the scale and i think the intensity was probably that that she, you know we've waited two years to see this and and it was you know it was it was the crowd just went nuts after every single song and uh and you know i, I enjoy alison goldfrapp's understatement so she said you know how's everyone, how's everyone doing are you okay and sort of the whole room exploded and she went all good me too and just mm. <laughs> had a 
drink of water and then said, so I've got a croaky voice, which you would never have known had she not said. But no, it was it was an astonishing mm-hmm. evening, a beautiful venue of the Delaware that really suited their sound really well. So so hooray for live music. Hooray for Alison Goldfrapp. Hooray for people passing out and then being OK. It was it was it was a hell of an evening. It has to be said. I saw some um, I was looking online this week some photos of Goldfrapp but on the on this tour and it did look it looks really atmospheric with that four yes. piece string section and oh, of course, very much bass so, keyboards very and much so and, and also dramatic lighting dry ice I saw oh yeah it was it was yes there was a lot of dry I mean we noticed how much dry ice there was um just before they came on because there hadn't been that much during Salt Ashes I would also like to um to 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 recognize the excellent Hazel Mills who was playing all the Will, Go- Will Gregory parts on on the keyboard um and she is a musician that that is a sort of a side person does piano and voice and synths to people like florence and the machine and birdie and hannah peel and has worked with will gregory and also does her own thing as for lane music and um she's we thought she she looked very young we thought and she put in an incredible performance and it just made me think like her and Alex Lee how many brilliant just session musicians there are out there that really keep much of the industry alive by just you know rocking up and being brilliant on a tour for someone and then rocking up and doing it again for someone else one of my favourite gold trap uh, gold trap tracks is uh, Utopia, and I watched a performance um, on YouTube from mm. uh, Edinburgh about one or two days before they yes. were at the Solar War, and it was performed beautifully. The sound in the hall just uh, mm-hmm. seemed magnificent. So yeah. uh, it, it was yeah. very much the same. You could have eaten off the sound in the Della War. It was so clean, and we said afterwards we didn't know if it was the if it was their sound people or the venue sound people, but the sound was. It was immaculate, absolutely immaculate throughout. Well, we're just going to round off by going back to August 1963, because I thought I'd do a very quick, where are they now? Oh, yes. Those people on the bill with the Beatles. This This might be sad, but let's do it nonetheless. It's it's some sad, some quite amazing, really. Jerry Marsden did. He died last year in 2021 after a hugely successful career. Three of the original members of the foremost are no longer with us, but they uh-huh. still tour with no original members. Oh dear, right. <laughs> uh, Sons of the Piltdown Men were an instrumental group who mm. only released one single and then disappeared. Wow. I mean it's uh, an incredible name, but um but It yeah. is, isn't it? Tommy War- Tommy Wallace and Beryl were a music hall act, a oh. novelty act with xylophones yeah. and tap dancing. <laughs> this but- sounds great. I wish I was in that act. Maybe well, I could do a revival. They They were still performing. I was I was checking them mm. out. They were still performing as late as 2015. Wow. So um, they may still be <laughs> as a vintage act still going. Um, Gary and Lee were a singing duo from Portsmouth. Couldn't mm. find out any more about them. If, if you are indeed Gary or Lee or, or related, get in touch. Do, like, do like write in and tell us how you're getting on. Really intriguing is Tommy Quickly, who was a sort of Brian mm. Epstein uh, prodigy, prodigy, mm. and he worked so hard to make Tommy Quickly a star. And he, ha- he, in the end, after a lot, a lot of publicity and and promo, I think he got one single into the top forty. Oh, He's still with us, but his career never took off. Mm. And despite all my checking out uh, the internet this week, little seems known about what happened to him after 1965, which mm. is a devil of a long time ago. Um, so, there, yeah. There's been a film made about him. Are you familiar with this? 
I I heard of it. I haven't seen it. Mm, so yeah. so there's this film that's been a short film that that's that stars Andrew Gower as Tommy Quickly, mm. which depicts his mental breakdown after his career failed. Yeah, so um, I read that he had a breakdown. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd be interested to see that short film. Well, it's interesting because there, in all my research, there's a Facebook page dedicating to to him. So I thought, oh, I'll go and see what he's up to now. But even the bloke running his Facebook page Something says like he doesn't know what happened after 1965 and he's got wow. no photos or material so very strange uh, in this day and age that someone can disappear like that and other than establishing he was a club comedian in Liverpool uh, there's very little info about the compare at Southport Billy Baxter but um, yeah hmm. what a contrast to 2022 and in this case Goldfrapp at Bexhill um, 1963 when even the biggest names had to have a cavalcade of music hall acts on the bill yeah hmm. I would I'd love to have seen that lineup in Southport in 1963. It sounds it's just fascinating, isn't it? And I, I, the only parallel I can think of is I went to see Girls Aloud at Battle Abbey, and I think it would have been in about 2007, 2008, mm. certainly late noughties. It was just as um, Cheryl Cole as then was Cheryl what what Cheryl whatever was um, she was had just joined X Factor I think so I remember oh, wow. everybody everybody or, or whatever she was judging Cheryl so, Tweedy so, yes indeed so no it wasn't she, 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 she this was that you know obviously yeah, she married yeah. Ashley Cole yeah yeah she did but yeah so she might have been Cole at this point I'm mm. not sure anyway but yes Cheryl Tweedy slash Cole slash um, was she for Xander's something? Anyway. Yes, it had a complicated surname Yes, it, it, got a bit, it got complicated, yes, indeed. Haven't we all had complicated surnames for a while? Mm. Anyway, so I saw them. and But again, much like your sort of Stockport lineup, there was a whole cavalcade of people that came on, many of whom I can't remember now, it has to be said. But it was an early appearance by the Saturdays. Mm-hmm. They were on a lower part of the bill. And interestingly, Simon Webb from Blue made an oh, appearance yeah. as a solo artist with a guitarist, which they covered when we were young by the Killers or when you were young by the Killers. Anyway, but yes, I'm familiar with a, a large bill, but that was outside. You would have enjoyed that, Terence, because there were picnic chairs. So it was oh, much, that would have been a, okay. much yeah. more of a thing that you could have experienced. It a was, lovely sit down. Indeed, yes. In, 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 you know, in a historic building there, you know, we did not have to queue for a latrine. It was it was all it was all a lot nicer but yes i i yeah I, th- I think that for all that i'm happy to argue the cause of festivals seeing a band like goldfrap inside at a, at a you know place like the delaware in bexhill on sea we had a lovely meal in an italian restaurant beforehand that's very much how one should experience these things i think i think that's right thanks very much for listening this week yes as ever i echo the sentiments of my excellent colleague and dear leader sir terence dackham you'll be smooth sailing again this week I shall, yes. If anybody would like to join me, that would be super great. Uh, Noiseboxradio.com, 7 to 9pm. Yacht Rock, M.O.R., Classic Pop, Easy Listening, just a bit of a wind down. Um, Relaxing yet uplifting for a Sunday evening. That's what we try to do. And back to Goldfrap. Indeed. And it's funny you should reference Utopia, because Mm. when I saw them, when we saw them, there were several songs that were incredible moments, but... I don't think any of us expected Utopia to really quite take off in the way it did. It was, it was, you know, the, the sound, as you, you rightly comment, made it sound particularly incredible. Um, it was a real sort of peaking moment towards the end of their sort of main set. And me and my friend were just, I think we laughed in astonishment afterwards because we didn't really know how else to sort of express ourselves. But yeah, this from Felt Mountain is Goldfrap and Utopia. It's strange. 
You've been listening to a Parish Council production. <laughs> <laughs>